It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. LMFM Podcasts with CNC Carpets. We bring the showroom to you. Or you can book a personal consultation at our fabulous new showroom in Moortown, Dramiskin. Call 87 237 or visit our website at cnccarpets.com to book an appointment. CNC Carpets for all your carpet and wood flooring needs. Welcome to Late Lunch, Tuesday afternoon on LMFM Radio. Thanks for joining us once more. Let's get straight to business today. We've spoken about this in the past on a number of occasions, and it really is, I think, a man thing especially. It's where, you know, men may not be feeling too well and are reluctant to go to their GP or see somebody or talk to somebody about something that's bothering them health-wise. Well, my first guest today is an example of that type of man, but thankfully he's on the line to talk to me about his story. Graham Burney, welcome to Late Lunch. Hello, Jerry. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. Thanks for joining me on the show today. So I, I, I take it we go back to, what, 2017, roughly, when this issue arose for yourself, was it? No, it was in 2019. 2019? It was the year before the pandemic. Sorry, 2019. Yes, yeah, so tw- let's, let's begin in 2019. That's when you felt there was something up, was it then? Yes, that's when I started getting chronic pains in the likes of my stomach and my back. Okay. So... But at that time, I did have a, a, a swollen ball, let's just say, downstairs at the time as well. OK, so you had a swelling on your testicle. And it, did that only arise in 2019 or had you it before that? No, it didn't. It probably did arise probably about a year or two before that. But that's, as a typical guy, yes. I ignored it. I ignored it okay, and, and okay. thought it so, would go away. So let's get that right. As I said, 2017, you felt something wrong down there. I did. I okay. Did. So, and you're going around 17, 18, and it's into 19 with this thing. And I take it it was uncomfortable. It was very uncomfortable, Jerry. It, it, was, it, was, it was ferocious pain. Honest to God, it was unbearable pain. Pain that couldn't be managed at home. Pain that would have to be managed inside a hospital. And did you say anything to your partner or wife or anybody close to you that, look, I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm having this issue or even a friend or did you just keep it to yourself? I honestly, Jerry, I kept it to myself at, the, at, at that present time. I kept it to myself. I would have been a typical bloke and probably was a little bit too embarrassed to talk about it. And and that's the message we want to get across to listeners today. It's not the way to go. So you put up with this for two full years till 2019 and you were on a, a bit of a break away when it really came to a head. 
Yeah, I was. I had gone on a, a weekend break away down to Killarney with my family and the, the, the pain just got too much. When we were staying in the hotel, we had to get a hotel manager and from there I went to Tralee Hospital and from Tralee Hospital I went up to Tala Hospital where I'm actually from. And of course, as is powerful the course, you had a bit of a wait in Tala. Oh, absolutely, yes. Uh, the, the usual, it's the norm, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I yeah. think I think I was in A&E for probably about maybe maybe two and a half days, three days. Okay, so but, but you're not going anywhere because you're in a situation now where you've got to get this attended to. Can you remember absolutely. when you went uh, and met the, the medical people and, as they say, you dropped your trousers and they had a look? Can you recall those moments? I can absolutely recall that moment, yeah, very clearly, yeah, absolutely, yeah. It was... Uh, it was I think when, when the doctor had asked me to drop the trousers and pointed out that, that I definitely had a tumour and it needed to be removed, I, 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 I think from there on I was quite frightened what was what was going on with myself. Naturally frightened. Were you embarrassed? Was embarrassment part of this as well? Well, they, look, the, the embarrassment part, is, I suppose, is dropping the, tra- the trousers in front of, mm. of, of, of a few doctors. It wasn't just one. Now, yes. you know, it was a few doctors they had to examine, they wanted to see, stuff like that. Yeah, so that moment was embarrassing. Definitely. Yeah, but, embarrassing. But you, you get over it quite quickly, I think. You know, and, and in their line of work, yeah, and I, I know it's easy saying this now, uh, Graham. but sure, they're dealing with this every day of the week and it's just like a day's work for them. But it's difficult when you are the person on the spot and it's a first time for you. So you get the news straight up. You have a tumour on one of your testicles. It has to be removed urgently. Did they move quickly? Did that operation happen fast? They did move very quickly. The first thing that they arranged was that I was to go to the Rotunda Hospital and to basically freeze sperm. Okay, so that's with a view to having children in the future. Absolutely, yeah, with a view to having whether we could have nat- naturally do it or not, yes. there was still the option of IVF down the road. Okay, so that was done and that was peace of mind to have that done. What happened from there? From there, I would have had the operation, I would have had the tumour removed and then I would have been sent back home. <clears throat> Now, I wasn't home for very long because the pains didn't go away, where the pains were, were so so fierce and so bad, I had to go call an ambulance and go back into the hospital. So the removal of the tumour and the testicle didn't bring you relief in, the, in other parts of your body at all? You had no. that pain? Unfortunately, the cancer had spread to my stomach and my left shoulder. My, oh my, and now this is certainly a, a different scenario. If it was localised, one thing, but it is elsewhere. What what goes through your mind when you, when you get that news? Okay, so a, a lot of things go through your mind, I suppose. Financially, you're, you're, you're thinking financially how you're going to cope because you're going to be out of work. I was in full-time employment at the time as well, and I've been like for about 25 years or so. Yeah, and so you have... A ha- lot of things go through your mind financially mm. what's going to happen I have a small family what's going to happen with them how are they going to be able to look after me a lot of different stuff will go through your mind at that present time a lot uh, of stuff and you are the breadwinner you are the earner they depend on you solely absolutely yeah mm. absolutely yeah that's mm. correct yeah. I can only imagine those thoughts that en- engulf your mind so what was then uh, the plan what did they say to you they were going to do for you so what happened then is they, the second time they kept me in hospital and I actually started my chemo, my fourth cycle was started in, in hospital, in Tala Hospital, it was where it was all the treatment was done in the oncology in Tala. So they targeted uh, the other areas? If they did. Straight away they put me through what they call intense chemotherapy, whereas I was getting chemotherapy 
five days a week, Monday to Friday, I would get a two-week break and then start the cycles again. How did it affect you? Well, it, it, it did knock the life out of me in, in the sense that I had no energy, I had no strength. Um, now, chemo affects different people different ways. Mm. For me, it made me very, very tired, extremely tired and restless and, and just no energy, where I slept most of my time. Mm. So if I wasn't awake getting chemo, I would have been asleep. And how long did the treatment go on for? Okay, so I used to go into Tala Hospital for 8 o'clock in the morning and I probably wouldn't leave till about maybe possibly after 2, 2 o'clock or after 2, as they were giving me two 60-gram yeah. bags of ke- uh, chemo. Because that's each day for five days in a row, then a break, each, as you say. Yeah. Yes. And back in. And then time-wise, weeks or months, how long? Time-wise, weeks or months. So I came out of work at the end of March 2019 to get start getting the treatment, obviously. And I was finished the treatment then in July, start of August. Hmm. Um, and then onto, onto the recovery road to them from there on. So I, got, I only got the four cycles. And after the four cycles, as they do in oncology, you get to ring a bell to say that you're finished your treatment. And, uh, and then I went home from there to, to start the... Uh, to start uh, to, to get better again, really. Yeah, to recuperate and build yeah, up absolutely. your strength and everything again. Going back to your work, being the breadwinner and the earner, how did you find that? How was how were you supported? How did you live? Okay, so I would have had a few savings dirty, but then savings were, were, were spent very, very quickly because I did have to pay for my own medication at the start <clears throat> because it took some time to apply for illness, benefit and stuff like that. Before I could, I could start. Um, yes. So it, 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 your worries were well founded. It wasn't easy to 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 get support. Is that what you're saying to me? It wasn't easy at all. I, I, I found I really didn't get support. The only kind of support I got was I, I, I got a check from the Irish Cancer Association for about three hundred euro while I was getting the treatment. That was the only kind of financial support I really, really got. So life became very concerning for you, one on, on the health front, number one, and then for your family and how you were going to get by. Had your mortgage? Were you paying a rent or a mortgage? No, I, I wasn't paying a mortgage. I was renting. Yes, I yeah. was renting, but I was still paying rent for for a, for a place that I wasn't even living in. I didn't go back to the, that rented accommodation to nearly eight or nine months later, but I was still paying for it. Okay, so all that with, with my uh, with my rent supplement and my illness yeah. benefit, I had to combine the two of them together in order to pay for the rent, the room that I was renting in, in Sagard at the time. Okay, I'm sure there was not wasn't much money left for the. No, there definitely wasn't, Jerry. There wasn't much money there in the pot at all. No, now, to be honest, not mm-hmm. not enough even to buy your child a McDonald's. No, there wasn't. Isn't that something else? And isn't there a message in that as well? When people are, you know, going through this cancer journey and it's very difficult, God Almighty, Graham, you shouldn't have those worries. You would think that, but unfortunately, it, 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 that's the way it is. Not just just for me, but probably for, for most people that are probably in that situation. Mm. So bit by bit, you're building up your strength. But didn't the doctors tell you, uh, correct me if I'm wrong or right here, they really said to you it would take you a couple of years? They did. They thought it would take me probably maybe one to two years to to recover from the treatment and to build my, my body back up the way it was before I would return to work. But unfortunately, with the stress of not having money and being the uh, the sole bread earner, I actually went back to work in October, at the end of October of 2019. Mm. In the same year, in the same year. 
Okay, and then of course we come into the spring of 2020 and COVID abounds for everybody. Were you knocked off then again at that stage? No, no, uh, no I wasn't. I, I, I'd be in a line of work where I would be, I would be someone that would be needed, uh, as they call. What's the word for it? Essential services. Essential services at the time, where I'm a refrigeration engineer by okay. trade. So, okay. so I was, I was. Funny enough, for me, I was actually still working all the way through the pandemic and to this present day. There you go. But how did you book the trend? Do you mind me asking you? Did you surprise the clinicians and the medics by actually getting going again? I think I did. I think I did. They never really said it to me, but I, I think I did. I, I definitely surprised myself and my family to go back within such a short amount of time, considering what my body had just gone through. And how are you today? Today, I'm absolutely very, very good. I've built all my weight back up and I, I'm, I'm strong and I'm working. And do you have follow-up? Do you have regular checks? What happens? I did. I do have follow-up, some regular checks. I had a check there about two weeks ago where they would have checked a CT scan, blood tests, and x-ray, and it all came back good. So they've... Swelling on the lymph nodes were, were down considerably, so nothing to worry about. So I'm actually, I'm actually quite good. So at the moment, you are cancer-free? At the moment, I, 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 I mean, kind of sort of in remission. So, yeah. yes, cancer-free. Yes, definitely. Good on you. Good on you. And you're working away. Do you, does this enter your mind? You know, I'm, I, I know when you go through what you've gone through, the news is good and you're checked regular. Does it sit in the back of your mind? Do you ever think about this as you go about your work every day? Yes, I absolutely do. I would be an old schooler, Jerry. So, yes. So, <clears throat> I do think, will it come back? Because, you know... When you hear somebody of getting cancer, well, 20 years ago, if somebody got cancer 25 years ago, you know, they, they probably weren't going to make it. Now, medication mm. has improved and got far, far better over the years, but there's still always that worry of it coming back. Absolutely. It's still always there, but you have to be strong and just push through. You're a great fella. So you push it to the back of your mind and you get on with your job every day. And I, I, I'm told you're a man always with a smile on his face. <laughs> Absolutely, yes, that's the way, yeah. <laughs> but you are an upbeat character. We can all get that listening to you today. today. Do you feel that it was an important part of you overcoming what you did? It, you did? Absolutely. For me, for me, it was a mental thing. For me, it was just about building my strength back up and going back to where I was before. Mm. And, and that was uh, being an engineer on the road. Yes, and, and that's what you're doing and you're busy, busy out with this. Coming back to where we began this story, so 2017, you felt this pain, this you knew you had a swelling on one of your testicles and you tried to battle on for nearly two years. So today, you have your audience here listening to you on late lunch. What do you say to men especially, or everybody, but men in particular? Men in particular, I would say, if they, if they, if they feel anything that's wrong downstairs or... Or, or any kind of swelling, I would certainly urge them to go to go and see their local GP and yep. just just get it done, just get it looked at immediately. No, absolutely, absolutely. Don't don't do what I did and and wait so long. So if you had your time again, there would have been no two years for sure. You would have moved on this very speedily. I would have because it, it could have it could have probably saved me from getting treatment. Mm, and it's spreading as well from 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 it, where it was initially. Yes. So so how is all with 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 your your family and everybody? A big relief for all round and and mm, delight. Yeah. Yes, a massive relief for the family. Absolutely, I was the youngest child of the family, so it was a massive relief for everybody.
And just to mention, you work with Eurotech in Carrick Macross, which is on our doorstep here, and you're uh, working right across the northeast. You're well lo- known, and you're. Uh, I just want to say this to you: you're a great man at your job. <laughs> Thank you very much, Jeremy. You're trying to be dead. <laughs> you do indeed. You do indeed. You know what? You've lifted me, and I'm sure uh, our uh, late lunch listeners today with your story, and it's a very important one too, Graeme. And I wish you well with everything in your life. Listen, Jerry. Thank you so much. Take care of yourself. Bye-bye. You too, Jerry. Take care. Bye-bye. 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 Isn't he a fantastic guy? Wouldn't he just... He's a tonic, as my mother used to say. He's a tonic, and that's what you need today. What he's been through. But there is a real important message there. Don't delay. Well, you're listening to a fella here talking to you today. As my wife often says to me, there must have a file as big as an encyclopedia in the doctors for you. Because I go. If if there's anything up at all, I certainly go. But I think it's the best policy, to be honest with you. Some people dread it and avoid it. But listen to Graham's story there. And uh, he's a fantastic man. He really is and doing really, really well. Louise, the Spanish bull runs. Pamplona, I suppose, is the most famous, isn't mm-hmm. it, of the bull runs. That's in, the immediate one you think of anyway, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, you're thinking that straight away. Why, there are loads of others. Oh, there are others. Oh. oh, yeah, it's just not Pamplona. It happens across Spain. And, you know, people have their views on this. They think it shouldn't happen. And it goes back centuries. But did you know 10 people have died this year in the bull runs? 10. It's crazy. Ten people of all ages. Is, uh, is it like that every year? Is that the annual? Oh, no, death I, th- toll? I, I think this year, high? this year's high. I okay. think it's been reported because it's high. Ten people. You know, they let the bulls out on the street and they just rampage, mm-hmm. and people get run over and they're stagged by the bulls' horns and different things like that. But ten people have Can't died. Can't understand it. It's very but difficult. Why would you want to do that? Why would you even want to watch it? I, I just I don't get it. I know mm. it might go back, and it's it's you know in in depth in their culture, and absolutely that's fine. But I just personally don't get it. I don't understand why it, I'd want to watch mm. carnage, and I don't understand why I'd want to be part of possible carnage either. Yeah, and and thousands of people turn out all over Spain on the streets. Life is too fragile as it is. Yeah, to to look at it, and you, of course you have bullfighting as well, which is another issue altogether. Where the bull meets is, is Waterloo. Mm. But on the subject of bulls, myself and Ava were out looking for mushrooms on Sunday morning (laughs) after the heavy rain but the ground is still too hard to be honest with you where we're looking and I think the field we used to go to ah, they've cut hay off it now I don't think there will be much mushrooms in it anyway there was none but there was a field across the way Mm. I went went to where I got them as well and when I got to the gate I looked to me right and what was there Louise? Mm. A bull? A bull Mm. not one <gasps> Not two. And had you Ava with you? Yes, there was three. Oh, okay. There were three in in the there were three of them. Just okay. that's all that was in the but there were three of them. So you and, hightailed it. Well, she was at the gate. I wanted to go in. Oh. I said, "We're not in Pamplona today. No, we're not going to." Now they hadn't got horns or anything like that. And I'd say they're pretty. You know, be, but you'd never trust a bull. You nope. know what I mean? Never, ever trust a bull. Yeah, oh, you're, you're so true. You know, and, and they're dangerous altogether. But she was sort of calling there. The next thing, they, one of them started to come towards the gate. And I said, run! <laughs> the two were charged for the car. And then she had such a laugh about it. But I was telling her never to go into the field. You know, a bull is a mm. dangerous, dangerous oh, creature altogether. But oh. there you go. I think you should. I actually, there's a brilliant festival just, I think it's in Valencia every year. You'd love it. It's Tomato Throne Festival. Oh, that, I'd love to do that. <laughs> no, you'd eat them. <laughs>
every one of them. There'd be none left to throw. Late Lunch, LMFM Radio. What are your kids at online coming up after two? But taking us to top of the hour. News and weather. It's our very own One Direction and the story of my life. I tell it to you every day here on Late Lunch. I give my all to you. Stay with us on LMFM Radio. Written in these walls are the stories that I can explain. Now, what are our children at in the online world? Well, you'd expect they're busy. Well, they certainly are because Cyber Safe Kids, should I say, have produced their sixth annual report and it covers the academic year 2021. Despite the fact that COVID was abundant, uh, they've gathered the information and uh, joining me now to have a look at the findings. I'm delighted to welcome to Late Launch. Philip Arneal, who is Head of Education and Innovation with Cyber Safe Kids. Hello, Philip. Good afternoon. Thanks for joining me on the show. The figures uh, are extremely high, aren't they, for 8 to 12-year-olds who own their own smart device and have their own social media accounts. It's not a surprise, though, is it really? It's not a surprise, no, but I think you know it bears reiterating year in, year out, You know, because what we're obviously calling for is there to be some you know, level of action based on these figures, you know, to, to think 87% of that age group have their own social media account, bearing in mind that almost all social, social media apps have a minimum age restriction of 13 really is astonishing, you know. So mm. I think it, 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 it bears stating and then also it, it should prompt a discussion of like, how can we keep these children that are already on social media account, uh, social media platforms. How can we keep them safe and make sure that they have a positive experience online? They shouldn't be on there, but the reality is that a lot of them are, and so we've got to make sure that they're protected as much as possible. So the horse has bolted. You've basically accepted that, and it's now a question of mitigating against the dangers. That's basically what you're saying. I think it's a. I think it's a combination of both. In the short term, the reality is kids are on there, so we've got to educate them and their parents and teachers about how they deal with that. The other side of the of the story really is that we've got to continue to call on the government uh, to, to bring in stricter, stricter legislation that's regulating social media companies. We're in favour of um, ethical design in terms of age. You know, uh, all accounts that uh, underage children, uh, when they create the account, it should be private by default. That's not necessarily the case. So if a child is under 16 on a lot of the popular apps, uh, creates an account, they can use that as if they were an adult user and they've got to go in and actually set it or their parents have got to go in and set it to private. So I think it's not just one or the other. We've got mm. to sort of deal with the short term. But we've also got to think longer term. We've got to figure out how to regulate this better. We've also got to establish societal norms. And a lot of that's to do with awareness. You know, how do we get everybody on the same page? How do we establish an etiquette and social norms around the use of, of online spaces and online platforms? It's something that needs addressing urgently. Well, for us old fogies, may I say, Philip, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, sure, it's owl hat with these youngsters because it's all about YouTube, TikTok and Snapchat. That's what the action is, isn't it, for this age group? It is. It is uh, totally, yes. I mean, YouTube is the most popular, but uh, really when it comes to posting videos, for example, Snapchat, uh, TikTok is much more popular uh, with this age group. And we've noticed even Instagram sort of trailing off. Uh, who would have ever thought that would have been associated with old fogies? But there you mm. go. So, you know, that that's trailing off over the last couple of years. And we've really seen this rise of TikTok and Snapchat in particular. Obviously, WhatsApp is in there too. But, you know, that tends to be for communicating with 
perhaps friends, family and, and, and other people, you know, uh, sports groups and things like that as well. So, you know, it's a case of parents and, and, and adults, you know, we don't need to be TikTokers. We don't all need to be on there and have our own account and be creating content. But it is a good idea to have a look at it, you know, see what's on there, see what the appeal is. Talk to your kids and your young people and, and, you know, ask them why it's so appealing. What is it they're doing on there? What's popular? Who's trending? Uh, what kind of things can you find on there? And I think the more that parents are talking with young people and children about what they're doing online, the more that normalizes that. And then obviously as a result of that, if they do find themselves getting into trouble or they make a mistake online or do something they regret, they're much more likely to come to those trusted adults mm. and share that. And, and it can be dealt with in a sort of a timely and an appropriate way rather than some of the other stories that we hear, you know, where maybe it's hidden and yes. it you know, gets progressively worse, worse because the young person doesn't have the, the skills perhaps to deal with that in the way that it should be done. And those are the positive aspects of this report. But just going back to what you said a few moments ago and just now, the worrying findings for this, from my perspective, when I when I look at it, is that 28% of children on instant messaging accounts on social media had friends or followers they didn't know offline. And even more worrying, 36% of children game online with people they don't know offline either. And that's well up on last uh, the last report, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's over a third of children gaming online with people they don't know. Now, obviously, again, you know, to, to, to present that in, in a slightly more balanced way, you know, we've got to acknowledge that a lot of those people may be their peers, maybe other children and young people, particularly mm. if it's a young, if it's a game targeted at that particular age group. But I suppose the headline there really is if you don't know who your children are gaming with, it's not a safe situation to be in, you know, in, in the same way that if you saw them walking off down the street with a group of children or young people you didn't know, you'd be slightly concerned and you'd want more information. So, you know, particularly with games, things like chat rooms, obviously, uh, and followers and that kind of thing, it does create opportunities for for people with more malicious and more nefarious intent to make contact with with underage uh, people uh, and sort of develop those relationships. And I think what's worrying about that, and this also happens obviously in social media too, is that, you know, the aim is not necessarily in a grooming scenario always to meet up physically with that child. You know, often it's developing that relationship, it's creating that dependency, and then that quite often quickly progresses to to requests for photographs, personal information, and videos and things like that. And I think that's where, you know, parents uh, have got to really be careful. Make sure you know what your children are playing. Know the functionality of the game in terms of, like, who's watching, who's there in the room, who's playing together. And then think about ways that possibly you can limit that. You know, one example might be having the account on private, maybe playing only against the computer or making sure that those friends and followers lists are only people that your children and your young people know Mm. in the offline world. And of course, there is uh, bullying. We know this anyway. Uh, Children being excluded from groups and sent hurtful messages or singled out or whatever, just like in real life. But that's the encouraging thing. I I don't want this to be all negative. And you're right to point that out. Most children, and it's great to see that up to 80% of children, uh, you know, speak to their parents and, and, and they know, they tell them what's going on and parents know as well. And that number needs to be pushed on even further. What about in the school scenario? You know, teachers and and they obviously deal with issues like this in their daily work with children and that. Are they seeing much of this? 
Yeah, I mean, uh, 63% of teachers are telling us that online safety is a significant issue. And I myself was a teacher for 20 years. And, and I, I, you know, sometimes teachers are maybe stuck slightly between a rock and a hard place because I think what they're dealing with is incidents that perhaps occurred outside school and they're being brought into the classroom. But again, you know, as a teacher, obviously anything that occurs in the home or between home and school, you know, can impact the classroom. And I think it does have to be dealt with. Uh, you know, regardless. So I think it's really important to make sure that, um, you know, teachers are are sufficiently skilled to deal with these incidents. And again, also that teachers are doing their own research in terms of, you know, what's popular at the moment, what are kids into, what's trending. I mean, that can be as simple as, you know, chatting to your pupils, asking your class, you know, what's everybody into at the moment? Or, you know, who's the best YouTuber? Or, you know, tell me your favorite Mm -hmm. TikToker and things like that. And I think, you know, the more that information is being shared and the more normal that becomes, you know, the safer ultimately children and young people are going to be when it comes to their online lives. Now, this is your sixth annual report uh, and, of course, work uh, on going on the next one for sure. Where does the responsibility lie to do what you've been talking about? You know, to deal with this issue, is it legislation that's needed? What's needed? Yeah, I think there's three three strands, I suppose. One is education, and that relates specifically to the formal education sector. Uh, I think another one is awareness. So if you think of things like road safety, for example, you know, a lot of money is poured into these campaigns of road safety, and rightly so, of course. But, you know, we believe that online safety should be treated in that same way, the establishment of rules and norms around that uh, online world. And then thirdly, it is a legislative uh, issue. You know, the online safety and media regulation bill is currently uh, we're wait, it's pending. We're waiting for that to be passed. And, and as an organisation, we would call... Uh, for that bill to include uh, an individual complaints mechanism. Now, we suspect at the moment it may not do that, but what that would also do then, it would it would regulate social media companies and so that if children and parents came across content, for example, something to do with cyberbullying, content posted about their child, they would have the recourse to directly appeal to those social media companies and have that taken down in, in quite a timely uh Uh, fashion that would go through the office of the online safety commissioner and obviously if that wasn't removed in a timely fashion then those companies would start to incur financial penalties that's the model that currently uh, is used in australia for example and it seems to be working or certainly bearing some results and that's something that you know we get a lot from parents uh, coming to us saying look i've been in touch with meta i've been in touch with twitter i can't get this information i can't get this content down what can i do and there's really very little you know we all know uh, how big these companies are. I think, you know, Meta's uh, income was something like $40 billion last year. So, you know, it's very hard when one parent or one concerned adult is going up against these companies. So what we'd like to see is government stepping in there and really pushing uh, forward that legislation and regulation uh, for internet service providers and social media platforms. Philip, uh, pleasure talking to you. Thank you for joining me today. Thanks very much. Take care, you said. That's Philip Arneal there, Head of Education and Innovation, Cyber Safe Kids. Check out the report. It's available everywhere at the moment. It really does make interesting reading. Louise, you're a mum. You have children yourself. They're of an age. Do you worry about them, you know, in the context of what we've been talking about there? Yes. Mm. Yes. No, even, you know, certain uh, certain uh, lap, you know, laptops and iPads and all that, and they're seemingly, you know, Child, not childproof, but you know you can't get past them, and there's all these security on the the kids always find a way past the security. Mm, yeah, they always do, and that's the unfortunate reality. Mm. And no matter if you know 
some kids are, you know, putting up a profile and, you know, if a mum said, right, show me what you've been looking at today, that's the profile. But they have another profile. Yes. And they're not showing you that. Mm. And, you know, a lot of, you just have to be on it all the time. And even at that, are you really on it? Yeah. And that's, that, that is the challenge. But uh, keeping the lines of communication open, talking about it, addressing it all the time. Like there are some, I just see in the report there, some people only made maybe deal with it once a year with their children or perhaps never. That's not good enough. Not good enough. You gotta, you gotta be on this, mm-hmm. and that's all you can do. And and hope that you're on top of it as well. But they are issues, valued, valid issues you raise as well that are very, very difficult. And I know Owen is is probably better at the security yeah. than me. And like everything, you know, he gets notified. He get not, not notifications of you know if there's yes. anything, and he'll go on oh, what's this, what's this, mm. what's this, and check it out or whatever. Yeah, yeah, that's good. That is really good, and that's what everybody should be really at. Interesting indeed. And vigilance needed. And as you heard there, three strands, education, awareness and legislative matters to be dealt with too. Late lunch, LMFM Radio. It's time for our Two on Tuesday. Two on Tuesday. Playing the songs that just never quite made it to number one. But we were so close. I'm going to be number one. We were so close. Two on Tuesday. Two, two, one Tuesday. You lie. The sky's up above me A star so bright You blind me Don't close your eyes Take that, rule the world, your two on Tuesday, this Tuesday afternoon, October 2007, from the movie Stardust. It entered the UK charts at number 46, but peaked at number two. It shot to number two then in the charts, where it stayed at number two for four weeks. And actually, it spent 12 weeks in the UK top 10, the longest of any Take That song, but it just fell short of top spot. So... What cop kept it off number one? Well, this one went straight in at number one when released and stayed there for seven weeks. It was one of the biggest hits of 2007. It's Miss Leona Lewis. Leona Lewis, X Factor winner 2006, that single released in 2007, number one for seven weeks, keeping our two on Tuesday from Take That Off the Top Spot. Where is she now, I hear you say? 
Well, believe it or not, she's still performing and doing really well. In December last year, she was named Spotify uh, and uh, Ireland Artist of the Month. In the same month, she was a special guest on BBC One's I Can See Her Voice Christmas special and she performed in Westminster Abbey, Westminster Abbey last Christmas at the concert hosted by Catherine, Duchess of Cambridge, celebrating the heroes and volunteers of COVID-19. So she's still out there and still performing. And she performing. had a baby. And she had a baby too. That is true. She had a baby. Called recently. Carmel. Carmel. Yeah. I love that. Sweet traditional name, isn't it? It's a real Irish name, isn't it? It's a, it's, it's a name Carmel. going back. That is mm. really, really beautiful. Well, for you, what do you think? Number one, number two... Leona Lewis, worthy number one. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Really Livelier. Good. It's a great, great song. But if she wasn't there, I'm sure Take That would have been Straight there for in. weeks themselves. That's the way it works. But two brilliant songs vying for top spot at that time. And of course, next week, at this time of late lunch, we'll bring you another two on Tuesday. Sometimes we don't play all of the number ones because some of them, we you get know, tired you of we them. get tired of them. <laughs> and we, we go, uh-uh. but that was well worth listening to the whole lot of it. And it's going to be well worth listening to my next guest because Leytown Strand races are back this Thursday and we're talking about it with Joe Collins and Kevin Coleman next. Uh, first for me lately, and I told you folks, I'd never been to the Dublin Horse Show. Would you believe I've never been to Leytown races? <laughs> and isn't me blinking doorstep? Anyway, they're happening this Thursday. First race, 4.50, last 7.25. But it's a very special race this year. And of course, it's unique in its own right. And to talk more about why it's special, I'm joined by Joe Collins and Kevin Coleman, two men synonymous with the races for more years than they care to remember. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Thank you both for joining me. Well, Kevin, you're saying goodbye this week. After how many years? Uh, 2025, it could be my 26th race meeting. So 25 years. It's a quarter of a century, maybe just even one over it. Do you remember the first year you were in, in the role? Well, I lived in Leighton all my life. Yes, of course. So, <laughs> um, oh, it's a bit of a distant memory now at this stage because so much happens, even though it's pra- you know practically the same setup every year. Yeah. But I mean, a lot of I met a lot of people and a lot of things mm. happened and you know there's a lot happened. In the Was last there nerves the first year as secretary manager, or you just taking your stride, so to speak? Not at all. I was appointed by this man here beside me, more or less, and uh, he guided me through all the early years. So everything was relatively smooth. Joe, your appointment, you must be proud of him after all these years. Yeah, God, I know him a long time. Yeah. I remember working with him in, in when he was in Nolan Allen's, an accountant, and he used to do the accounts for Bellystown and Leighton when I was manager. And he was very thorough, as he still is, and produced wonderful accounts. And, and uh, we go back a long, long time. Mm. You're staying on. Well, I'm, I'm not, I don't work. I'm I know. A, I'm on but the But in your role, yes. Yeah, in I, your role, you are remaining on in the role that you... Not indefinitely either. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm the chairman. Yes. Yeah. And I've been there for the last few yeah, years. Yeah. 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 But the races themselves, when you talk about Late Town, we spoke about this before. It, it's unique. It really is in a world context, a racing contest. Context. Yeah. There's nothing like it, is there? There's nothing like it. There are other race meetings in in Europe uh, that race on beaches, but they are trotting and they're um, half-bred horses. There's nothing like races where they, like the Leighton races, where you would have the likes of uh, Colin Keane, Mm. champion jockey, riding at them. In France or in Spain, there wouldn't be those kind of riders, and there wouldn't be, there wouldn't. We don't have the top quality horses, 
but we have the top quality trainers sending their horses. Yes. And the horses that race on the strand, you know, when you talk about we have all weather and the dock beside us here, we have the wonderful Bellius Town on our doorstep, you know, all the other racetracks even beside us here in Leinster. Is this a different, is this a horse that's, you know, meant for the strand or will you see them next week in any of those tracks, Joe? they They race on all the tracks. All the time. And the rules are exactly the same for Leighton as they are for the Curragh and Leopardstown next Saturday. Mm. So you're going to see really good quality out here on Thursday. How many are you expecting, uh, Kevin? What, what do you reckon numbers-wise? Um, we've quite a quite a few sold online. I think mm. we've over 2,000 at this stage. We probably expect about 4,000 people, which is really, really good for a Thursday afternoon Irish racing. Any race course would give the right hand for it. Mm. And the, the, they're flat races, of course, and they're in a straight line at this stage. When did you do around? There used to be a bend, wasn't there, and they came back. When did that finish? I think 1994 was the last Was there any particular that. reason for that? Was it? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, there was dangers and there was various mm. things happened. And, um, I mean, Joe would have been instrumental at the time. He, I wouldn't have been involved, uh, basically, in keeping the races going because there was a major incident and... So it was overcome by the committee to, you know, and we just kicked on from there. Mm. And it's it's really, really come back to what it used to be. It could have been the end, could it, Joe? I, I know what we're talking about there. You, you did well to pull it round and get going again. Oh, well, there was more than me that pulled it round. I know. There was, uh, there was uh, you know, it was people came out of the woodwork. The big, um, and, uh, yeah, they, they, there was all kinds of improvements. The type mm. of races, we ran the races in a straight line. Uh, we did type of riders that rode in it uh, we don't let, allow novice riders to run okay. and we don't like, allow, allow exper- inexperienced horses to run Yes. and one of the biggest changes that we brought in was we don't allow horse, horses to run with blinkers or headgear on them because horses that run with that kind of gear on them can't see and if they get loose they, they run into things Yes. and also they couldn't judge the water streams mm. and there was, they were falling at them yes and so we got rid of that and luckily uh, since then that's nearly 27 28 years ago uh, it's been plain sailing it's been plain sailing going to touch the wood you were going to touch it there yourself I'll touch it for you don't worry (laughs) but when you think of this and the history of it and how far it goes back and it's you know it's had its bumps in the road Early on, I was just reading about your history. The, 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 the clergy weren't mad about it, a particular priest or something. When it started first, the clergy got involved. They say that it, uh, 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 the parish priest started it mm. and the bishop then wasn't too happy about yes. it. And then they were stopped. But then they, they were resurrected again by the Delaney family and they've gone ever since. Yeah. And there was a transfer in the clerical uh, <laughs> world that, that made a difference. Yeah. Well, it's, it's amusing when, when you look back at it as well to think of well, things. Well, at that time, you see, priests weren't allowed to have horses. And, 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 and years ago, I mean, I'm not talking, not in my lifetime, but not long before I was born, priests went, went to Punchestown. and there was, a, there was a place outside called the Priest's Hill that the priest, way, way down, that the priest had to stay on and watch the races. They were all mad into point to pointing, mm. but they weren't allowed to go to the races. Isn't that something? And yeah. that's, that's maybe 50, 60 years ago. It's not that long ago, really, no, like in, no. in, 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 in mm. living memory, mm. if you take it like that. Um, world wars intervened. Of course, they had to as well. And you, you had no running during COVID. Nothing happened. Sure, we were all locked up. Yeah, we were cancelled. We didn't... Mm. We didn't re- re- place like Bellustown did run behind closed doors yes. because we were so open and late and we wouldn't have been able to keep the people away and you know 
that that would not have satisfied the COVID protocols and mm. health and safety for everyone. So we didn't race in 2020 and we were delayed in racing in 2021. We were supposed to race in early September and we raced on the 1st of November. Again, very successful. Got a really good crowd for that time of the year. So its popularity didn't didn't wane. Mm. The tide, of course, is crucial. The tide retreats and there is your course in front of you. Are you far out to the tide mark with the course itself? Right, the sand in nearer is soft, of course, and you're out on that nice hard surface, is it? Quite near to the water? Or? Well, hopefully we're going to be finishing near the, the shoreline. Mm. Uh, not out towards the sea. Right. Because it's a lot easier to, raise, to put up the track as soon as the tide goes out. Goes out. You know. But it's mo- firm afoot. Would you say that? You know the way they say going is soft. Uh, Stand- standard, it's we call standard. it. But it, it, it's, uh, it's... It's not slow. It's not, it's it's not soft. Right. It's quite fast, actually. Mm. Yeah. Mm. E- even in that, it's not like you're in the sand dunes or anything like that. Of course. Or no, it's, it's, not pretty, like it's pretty firm now. It's pretty, mm. pretty fast. And is it as good a flat as you can get? Yeah, yes. it's... It's nearly made for it, is it? Mm. It'd be hard to find a, a stretch of beach like it, would it? Well, you see, a lot of people, before there was uh, grass race courses or a lot of grass race courses, used to race the horses on the beach mm. all over England and Ireland. I mean, to say, we're just the last one to survive. But a lot of people used to, a lot of racing took place on, there was a lot of beach racing in England and Ireland, you know, mm. before grass tracks were developed. Yeah. We have to mention here Jack the Bromheads. What a tragedy, Kevin, at the weekend. Um, yeah. the, the poor young lad, 13 years of age. Unbelievable. It, it does show you, though, and we think of him and remember him and his family today at this tragic time. He went out, you know, to do something he absolutely loves and, and he didn't come home. That's what people, I think, don't get at times, that this sport, it's, it's a dangerous sport at times. No, it is. I mean, they probably knew. I mean, his father is a top trainer and they would be very much involved with racing and he would be, you know, he'd been riding out on the best of horses down there. But you always know. I mean, it's no different than out walking down the road at night or mm. going for a cycle. Mm. It is danger. But if you thought of every danger every time you went out, you, yes. you wouldn't go out. Yes, yeah, that is so true. It's like anything, sit into a car to race. You're right, you know, mm. climb a mountain, go mm. into a football match, you know mm. what I mean? And you don't know what... That, that, that is a, a very valid point to make. Um, with the time it's been going, and when you go right back, Joe, to the beginning and the origins of, of this, and you see famous people who've been there over the years. Charles Stewart Parnell was involved with late town races. Was, then, it, was and, a steward there? A steward. Mm. What a name. What a name mm. to have associated with it. Um, the, uh, it was before my time. <laughs> and mine. Just a little, folks. No, I'm only joking. Way before these young fellas' time. Absolutely. And uh, the Aga Khan. What's the story, the connection with the Aga Khan? Well, Mr Waddington from Bewley was the Aga Khan's racing manager. And he used to... Uh, the Aga Khan came over to Ireland and he invited him to come to the races. And the Aga Khan... And his wife, the Begum, came to the races around 1958, I think. Mm. And uh, he could be seen there on his on his um, rug having a picnic uh, on the sand. Famous end. endorsement as well for it. And, and by the way, when it started, you know, and, and by, I want to mention this, Late Town Strand Races celebrating 150 years is a fantastic publication. We reviewed it on this show. Is it still available? Yes, it is. And where can it be got? It can be got at the secretary's office at the races. This Thursday? Yeah, yeah. 
buy it folks you'll love it it's a fantastic work similar to the Bellius Town one as well that records the history there but it's true to say from your history that really it was the regatta started and the racing was a sideshow is that right? Yeah there was boat racing you know uh, as well yeah uh, and uh, it was a kind of a festival mm. uh, and uh, uh, that's how it grew yeah I suppose people were trying uh, the thing that brought racing all round Ireland was the railway lines. You can see race courses appearing when the, ra- when the railway lines appeared. They were able to transport horses to areas. And that's how race courses came to exist. They were able to get the horses there. The pennies dropped. I see it now even in my mind's eye. Yeah, yeah it is so yeah. true. It made yeah. a revolutionary difference to, yeah. to, to the racing as well. Secretary Manager, um, how busy are you with this job? You know, when does the planning start for you? Right, say the racing happens this week and it's over. Do you just put it to bed and come back to it next year, about a month before it all begins? Not exactly, no. We actually have next year's date in the calendar because we have to have it because next year's calendar fixture list will be announced this weekend at the, uh, I think it's this weekend, they used to do it anyway, at the Dublin... Um, Racing Festival, Champions Champions Weekend. Yeah. So we have that a year, you know, months in advance. So we know what next year's date will be already. And how does entries work? Do you have to go after entries or do you just put the races there and uh, owners, trainers enter then? Oh yeah, the trainers enter up the horses. They have a horse for a particular race, particular grade of a horse and they know what races are available. And as you said earlier, it could be Dundalk today, it could be Bellusown tomorrow, it happens to be late down tomorrow or whatever, mm. and the same horse is run. So you enter up your horse, you then get, have to make a declaration two days beforehand, and at that stage, our safety numbers are 10 per race. So if there's an oversubscription or an over-declaration, horses at the bottom of the ballot are balloted out, and they get a chance later on to run in the next, maybe somewhere down the line. But the safety limit is 10. So that's all That's all organised by Horse Racing Ireland. Mm. So we don't, don't have anything to do with entries, entry fees, jockeys arrangements, all of that. We actually, we actually prepare the venue. Mm. And then the authorities come in and have the racing. Well, also, Kevin, we get the sponsors for the races. Yes. To make the races attractive. Of course. You know, uh, we've got, you know... Uh, that has to be a purse. Yeah. Uh, well, the HRI do t- contribute quite considerably yes. to the money, but we get sponsored. We've all, we've our six races sponsored. Mm. Uh, although there's one race, the Pride of Place race, uh, that the committee sponsor itself. Yes. Mm. And for Thursday, people going to Leytown, what's the best way? How are you fixed for parking, transport out there? What do you recommend? Well, the first thing we were, we're trying to get people to book online possibly in advance because there will be congestion and a lot of people going into a small area. Mm. So we're, we're, gonna, we're hoping that we things will run as smooth as we can. We're plenty of staff um, on duty and we move people along. People can pay cash yes. on the day. Uh, parking, there's no immediate parking in the vicinity, but we will have a shuttle bus serving both Laytown Village, uh, the railway station and then car parks beyond, we'll say, beyond the enclosure where the church is and the yes. parochial hall. So we have a shuttle bus moving up and down, all two buses going up and down all day to there. So there's no, there'll be no problem with parking. There's plenty of parking space. Yeah, get um, that train. Yeah, get, get the that train. train. And get there there's, early. There's a bus every 15 minutes from Drogheda. Okay, as well. And there's matters, it's coaches coming from Dublin every half hour. 
So there's no excuse. And there's trains coming from Dublin and Drogheda. So it's well serviced for people who want to use public transport. Tickets online where? Where do they find them? Just Google later and races? Yeah, and they'll find the they'll find where to find tickets. Yes. They'll go through a company called Future Ticketing. Yeah. And it's pretty straightforward. Mm. Uh, maybe do it on a laptop rather than a mobile phone. It doesn't take all mobile phones. Yes. There can be some difficulty. Okay. But it's relatively straightforward. Thursday, first race again, Kevin, what time? 4.50. Get there early, enjoy the crack, be part of history, say you were at it, only for I'm stuck here, I might be out. Anyway, you never know, there's still time to get there. I wish you well, Kevin, in your retirement from Late Town for the 25 years you've been there. Everybody is grateful and continued success with Town. And Joe, to you, continuing as chairman, Joe Collins, good luck to you with the big meet this Thursday. Thank you both for joining me on the show. Thanks, Jerry. Thank you. Robert Palmer, UB40. I'll be your baby tonight. And just reminding you, Late Town Race is Thursday, 4.45 first race. Matthews coaches, bus Aaron, take the train. There's a shuttle service from the train station, as the boys mentioned. Tickets and more information from the website, latetownstrandraces.ie. That's latetownstrandraces.ie. Book your tickets now. It'll save you a lot of bother on the day. And good luck to everybody with the races. Just getting a message there. Crash on the Bridge of Peace at the Mullen Road. That is the worst junction in the world. And it's only down the road from us here. What a planning catastrophe. Whoever designed that bridge and that bend and that junction. Oh my word. It is the worst in the world. And still crash after crash happens. And nothing happens to the junction. Nothing happens. Nothing happens. And it, you just tear your hair out so you would. So avoid the Bridge of Peace at Mullen Road Junction. There's a crash there. Is there anybody in planning or with vision or could do something with that? Or is it just too much to ask? Is it impossible in the Banana Republic? I'd love to see something done with it sooner rather than later. <laughs> sooner. <laughs> sooner. Give me a break. Give me that soapbox till I really get going. That's only a taster. It's time for this on Late Lunch. The Late Lunch Artist of the Week. Artist of the Week. It's Gilbert O'Sullivan this week. And O'Sullivan was a pupil, a primary school pupil at St. Joseph's Catholic College before attending Swindon College, where he studied graphic design. Musically, he played with the Doodles, the Prefects, and kept time as a drummer with a band called Rick's Blues, which was incidentally founded by Rick Davis, who went on to form the great group Supertramp. In fact, it was Davis who taught O'Sullivan to play piano and drums. In 1967, Gilbert moved back to London, where the family had lived previously, pursuing his solo career in music, writing profusely, and he was highly influenced, he'll even uh, say himself to this day, by Bob Dylan and the Beatles. He also adopted that look I mentioned yesterday, the cloth cap, the short trousers and the pudding bowl haircut. And at that stage then, he actually changed his name to Gilbert, a play on the name of the great composers Gilbert and Sullivan. He signed for CBS Records before moving to Gordon Mills' newly formed MAM label, where he achieved his first top 10 hit with Nothing Rhymed in 1970, the song I played yesterday. Today, I'm pushing on to 1972 and a single that made it to number three in the UK charts. An introspective, melancholic ballad about suicide, God and the death of parents. When 
in a little while from now If I'm not feeling any less sound I promise myself to treat myself And visit a nearby town And climbing to the top Will throw myself up In an effort to make clear to Ever what it's like when you're shattered Left standing in the lurch At a church where people sing My God, that's tough, she stood him up No point in us remaining We may as well go I did on my own Alone again Naturally Beautiful Gilbert O'Sullivan, my artist of the week, alone again, naturally, where we all find ourselves in the end for sure. And I'll bring you more from Gilbert and about him round about this time on your late lunch tomorrow afternoon. Now, how honest are we? Let's be honest. How honest are we? You know, honesty boxes along the side of the road where people are selling their produce. Are we really honest? David Moore and his brother Niall farm at Clanani in North County, Dublin, and they have produced some wonderful produce, and they sell it from a shop there. But when they're not in the shop, they have on an honesty box there that you can pick up what you need. So, how sound are we in paying? David Moore is on the line. Hello, David. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for joining me on the show. Um, tell us what y- you you put out there, and you leave it to its own devices and the honesty of people passing by. What can I buy from you? Well, um, in the honesty box, we would put out um, fruit, veg, and free range eggs, and um, that'll be it at this time of year. And um, a lot of it'll be produced on the farm. And um, but yeah, in in general, people are are very honest. We price list up. Um, we'd have a letterbox there that people can put notes in, and um, in in general, it's it's usually bang on. So most people are honest. They actually leave the right amount of money uh, for you. Is there ever a time that you think, and I suppose you can gauge this for yourself, that somebody might arrive and then they realise they don't have the money or they don't have the right amount? Would you ever pick that up down the road, perhaps? Yeah, yeah, that, like that does happen. And, and, and some days you can be down money and then you can come back, you, you know, uh a few days later and you can be up money or some people would come up to the shop there um, the farm shop's only open on Saturday and Sunday and people can come up to the shop and um, say oh listen I owe you for you know half dozen eggs and, and, and carrots and potatoes that I got during the week and can I pay you for it now I love that isn't that heartening when that happens the the honesty of people but then on the other hand David surely there is a percentage that you'd love to just track down and say here hand over the cash I take it there is an element is there of that as well um, yeah there would be um, but it's it's very very small and, and it's it's very rare um, and, and by and large most people are honest and, and most people do as I say maybe they don't pay on the day but but they they pay it back at you know at another time. Mm. I take it you post a price list there as well that people can understand because I know some people who put out produce and they leave it up to the people themselves, especially with eggs. But I know you could take the you know what there and, and yeah. pay them all for them. Do you have a list that people can reference? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we have a price list up, and, and yeah, you know we'd have coins there if people need to take coins as change and, and the whole lot. So 
that's that's how we do it, yeah. You know yourself, we've become um, tappers ever since this pandemic broke out and more so tappers today than ever. Although I do have a feeling cash is coming back in a way. My local egg producer, I have to say, have installed a little card reader. Where they have two machines now, one for cash, one for card. Is it anything you'd consider? Um, I suppose it's something we, we'd consider. Like, like we even find in, in the shop that... Um, yeah, yeah, it's far more payments are by by card or, or mm. you know uh, by phone now or, or watch. So so there's there's very you know there's very little cash actually goes through the till now, and, and you even see it like I mean we've a website and online shopping and, and there's so much done that way as well that you, you know cash is becoming less and less. Um, so I suppose it's something we may have to look at in the future and see how we could. Uh, come up with a way of doing that and maybe it would be a more straightforward way without having to worry about change and worry about you know because I do think most people are you know for small bits and pieces or small groceries are going in and you're just tapping your phone and that kind of thing mm. do, do you have a secure box that the money goes into I'm just trying to picture your setup here or do people just leave the cash within the box where the goods are um, there would be a, a secure a secure letter box where where notes would go. Okay, so you you cover that off there as well. Yeah. So so eggs, vegetables, fruit. You do bedding plants at times of the year, do you? Yeah, too? Yeah, yeah, yeah. During during that season as well. Yeah. Mm. Uh, but but the farm Clannany in in the Northern County Dublin, it's a, a much bigger operation than than that produce there. Uh, you produce some wonderful pork and uh, uh, lamb as well. Yeah, we do free range. We 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 keep free range pigs, so we produce then free range pork and sausages and all that out of that, and then we keep um, um, sheep as well for lamb. What's the demand like for that? Have you a solid customer base there? Yeah, like we're doing. Look, what we're doing. Um, the you know the farm shops there six years, so we'd be and before that we would have been doing farmers markets and all that. So over the time and we still do farmers markets actually as well but over the time yeah customers have built up and, and we'd, have a, we'd have a lot of regular customers be it to the shop be it you know online be it you know we do Scary's Farmers Market or or, or Denal every month or you know so we do all these farmers markets um, you'd have Regular customers at various spots, if you know what I mean. Mm, oh, you can't beat the free-range rasher and the That's sausage it, yeah. and everything else and the lovely pork chop that goes along with I'm salivating here even thinking about it. Anyway, on the whole, the message today, that's what we just to find out. The vast majority of people are honest, David. Well, yeah, in, in, in our opinion, in our experience, yes, they, they definitely are. <laughs> that is really good to hear. Listen, thank you so much for joining us on the show. I wish you well with your venture. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Take care of yourself. Bye-bye. That's Clannany Farm in the Knoll in North County, Dublin. Well, the people are the most honest in the world. You heard it there from David himself. That's a lot on late lunch this afternoon. Eddie Caffrey's coming next with The Drive. Stay with us here on LMFM Radio. Tomorrow on late lunch, Dr Kate McCann. Our doc is back with us. She's talking all about sleep and it is a huge issue. Helen Dwyer's here from My Generation Fashion Store and she's really on the move. You'll hear all about it. More from Gilbert O'Sullivan and Sarah. Sarah Hannan from, uh, well, she's trying to raise funds for a women's wing of Tabor House. We'll hear all about that tomorrow. But we leave you in the company this Tuesday. Have a lovely evening of the weekend. I absolutely love this one. It's Blinding Lights. 
See you tomorrow, 1.30. Bye. LMFM Podcasts. With CNC Carpets, we bring the showroom to you. Or book a new showroom appointment on 87 Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.